What, what, what's going what? on? Welcome back to another episode of the Nonprofit Missionary Podcast. This is Ken McQuiller, and we're here to encourage nonprofit leaders, empower missionaries, and to enlighten pastors. So today we're going to talk about social media. Social media is a big part of what a nonprofit does on a daily basis. But what are some of the things that non nonprofits can benefit from when it comes to social media? And what are some things that can be deceivingly not that good for nonprofits when it comes to social media? So let's talk about it. I have a bit of a ministry update and some confessions of a missionary. So let's get into this. So here we are. It's October 20th. Um, kind of the last couple of weeks, I feel like the update's kind of been the same. We're still just kind of waiting on some stuff for our tavern construction. And also, there isn't a ton of like big outreaches coming up. However, as we approach Halloween, we do a light the night event where we light up our street and giving out candy, hot cider, as well as just giving an opportunity for people to pray with us. So that's coming up. It's going to be exciting. Other than that, we have Thanksgiving, which isn't too far away. And we are on the verge of launching a peer-to-peer campaign. So if you're interested, um, make sure you continue to follow us on social media, McQuillers and CLE. Also TMPLC, because that's the focus of our fall fundraiser is going to be on the Learning Center. So here we go. Um, the, the next couple months will start to get a little crazy because... I mean, end of the year is usually a crazy time for ministry anyway. You got Thanksgiving and then you got all the Christmas stuff. But also within that, we're probably going to be opening our church and coffee house. So it's going to be a little bit of a whirlwind. So continue to pray for us because it's going to be it's going to be fun, but it's also going to be a lot. Um, so that's a little bit about what's going on here in Cleveland. So let's look at a nonprofit tip. So unless you don't watch TV or see any ads anywhere or even just look outside and see all of the lawn signs, it's election season. And today's nonprofit tip has to do with politics, but not in a bad way. I know sometimes politics can be a very volatile topic, but when it comes to nonprofits, it's important to know what the do's and don'ts are. If you are a 501c3 organization, you do have to be careful in how you talk about particular political candidates because it could put you at risk of losing your 501c3 status. So with that, when it comes to talking about and endorsing a particular candidate, I would advise if you're a nonprofit leader, don't publicly say, I endorse so-and-so. Definitely your organization cannot publicly endorse anyone. So you can't say us as ABC organization publicly endorse Joe Smith to be the next governor. It's something that can put you severely at risk. Also, when it comes to funding a particular candidate, the organization cannot fund 
any candidate, period. Um, you can personally. There's no stipulations against that. But publicly, it's, um, it's grounds for losing your 501c3 status. So what can you do? Because there is, there is a lane for advocacy. There is a lane for information. And basically, you can do anything that isn't publicly funding a candidate or your organization endorsing a candidate. So you can't say, on behalf of ABC organization, I think you all need to vote for Proposition 2 to help with schools. Like, even if it's really would be helpful for your organization, going up to actually saying, I want you to vote in a particular way is fine. If you are talking about a particular issue or a candidate that supports a particular issue, so long as you don't publicly endorse or reject that particular issue, then you're in a good spot. Um, like I said, you could use your 501c3 status. It's not like an automatic thing if you give money to a candidate, but it can definitely be grounds for it. And obviously you lose the 501c3 status. Um, a lot of donations kind of go out the window. You can't get grant funding. A lot of public funding also kind of goes away with that. So just make sure you're using discretion. Um, feel free to talk about issues. Feel free to be a forum where you can openly say like, hey, this is what we want to do. This is, this is what can be really beneficial. If um, people vote for this, then this could happen. But you can't encourage voting in a certain way and you can't publicly endorse and also, just as a nonprofit leader, also pastors too. It's just better wisdom, even from like a personal social media, to, to not publicly endorse a particular candidate. Um, I mean, there are probably exceptions. Like, I think if you're like, hey, like, my brother is running for mayor, um, I think just saying, like, I like my brother is fine. But if you are saying like you know if you're voting a particular way it's just not good discretion because people could use that as grounds to revoke your 501c3 i think you would probably legally you'd probably be fine but it's just one of those ways to just kind of stay far away from it and also like i mean i know for me personally if i were to say i publicly endorse a particular candidate I'm automatically estranging half of my social media audience because I have some people that see things one way and some people that see things another way. And I feel like, especially because I don't think people would automatically stop supporting me if I said like, oh, this is how I vote. But I also just ask the question simply, what benefit does it have? Can you actually gain something by doing that. So when it comes to, because obviously the, with the midterm elections, there's a lot of things that could change in the political atmosphere, especially at the DC level, but also locally too. Um, so there's always going to be a lot of, especially over these next few weeks, a lot more noise about who to vote for. Just be careful in how you express that. That's pretty much all. So let's get into this topic of social media, because um, especially over the last 10, 15 years, social media has become a much bigger player, not just in the nonprofit world, but with everyone in general. You look at a lot of the 
people nowadays, like people that are my age, millennials, Gen Z, and if they don't have a social media, not necessarily all of them, but just one, then it looks kind of weird. Like, oh wait, you don't have anything. You don't have Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook. You're not on YouTube, Twitter. So when it comes to nonprofits and social media, it's something I've looked at a lot recently because the last couple of weeks I've been kind of messing around with reels and kind of seeing what what I can do in that space. And it's it's become very interesting for me because I just tried a couple and there was a few that like I kept getting hits on. And so and I've seen a little bit more of at least being able to communicate my message that way. So today I wanted to talk about a few reasons or a few things that social media does not do for nonprofits, what it can do, and then just kind of some regular tips by me, not necessarily a nonprofit expert, but at least kind of some tips that I've kind of noticed. So first, what is not what does social media not do? Um, social media is not a comprehensive marketing strategy for your nonprofit. It is not intended to be the only way that you communicate to your audience. If it is, then it's something that needs to be looked at and and tweaked because yes, there is a lot of great things about communicating via social media, but like I just said, not everyone is on social media. And there are certain people that are on social media for a lot of different reasons. Um, and also, depending on who follows you and what your, your audience base looks like, different types of social media is going to appeal to people in different ways. Like Facebook, you're going to have a lot more people that are, I'm just going to say, 30 and up. I'm going to say older. Because I have a Facebook, a lot of my, a lot of my peers still use Facebook. But like, if you're trying to talk to college students or high school students, and you try to use the means of Facebook, depending on where you are, you're probably not going to get a lot of them, because a lot of them are on Instagram or on TikTok or on other social media platforms. So it should not be the only way that you communicate with your audience. You should not just be posting on social media and saying like, okay, I communicate well. It should be part of your marketing strategy, not your whole marketing strategy. The next thing is it does not replace personal contact. And I mean this in a few different ways. So first, like when it comes to meeting people for recruiting funders, I have gotten some funding on social media, but not a lot. It's not to me the the best way of just like posting like, hey, we're an organization and we we need money. Because really the best way to do that is through personal contact and through talking with people one-on-one. So kind of in the same way, we have to make sure that it's not the only way that we're trying to communicate with the people that are trying to give to our organization. And let's say you are looking to do a peer-to-peer fundraiser. I had mentioned in our ministry update, we're about to launch one. If you're just saying, hey, we're doing a peer-to-peer fundraiser, who's in? 
you're not going to get the type of reception you would get as if you would contact those people face-to-face or contact them via phone or even email or sometimes even in snail mail. Um, a lot of donor conversion does not happen necessarily on social media. Like I said, I like out of my current regular monthly givers for missions, I think I've gotten two or three, maybe four, people that give because of something they saw on social media. But I'll also add that all of those people that gave, it wasn't because it was a first contact. Like all of those people knew me previously and it was kind of like the, oh, wait, do I give to them? Or something that really just is like, oh, it's something I want to give to. It wasn't like a first contact. It was an already there type of contact. And I had said this kind of before, but social media is not the best way to interact with your donors. There's still the, the concept of doing stuff in person or via Zoom if they're far away. There's a lot of different other ways that we can make sure that we're contacting our donors. I'm not saying don't contact your donors through social media, because I think there are some people that that is their preferred method of contact. I think there are some people where it is a lot simpler to keep them involved by doing stuff on social media. But what I'm saying is, it's not the end-all be-all. What social media can do for you, though, is first, it can be one great avenue to communicate your message. Especially with the visual, if you're talking about posting pictures to Facebook or to Instagram, it can be a very good way to keep people in the loop about what you do. It can really help continue to get people to learn more about what you do. It can, um, it can also help build a funnel to your website. Um, that was one of the things I meant to mention before. Social media is not supposed to replace your website. You should still have a website so that people can go to and kind of see everything. So social media can be a really good way to communicate. It can be a great avenue to help spread your message. And that is another thing that it can really do is it can spread your cause, especially if you get those people that are strong owners of your organization, you can get them to share what you guys are doing. So let's say like we have several people that are like this on our social medias where we ask them like, um, where we put up a post about whether it's a need, whether it's a win, whatever it may be. And we say like, share this. There's always those few people that'll share it. There's always those few people that will like or react or comment to it. Because once again, social media, a lot of it is about the algorithm. And the best way to continue to get your stuff to be spread is by having people interact with it. Having like the likes and the comments help other people see it, as well as the shares. Because um, once again, like part of the reason why it's not the end all be all is because you could have a thousand friends, you could have 500 followers, but only about 20 or 25 people will typically see your stuff on the regular. A lot of it is close friends and family, which most of your close friends and family are probably already giving, or if they're not giving, they probably aren't going to give. So in order to continue to build that, you need stuff that people are going to continue to want to spread around. 
that's why like a lot of times big announcements typically do better on social media than your typical regular posts. So like, let's say, oh, we're having a baby. Obviously we're not having a baby right now. I just want to clarify that. But like, if you're, if you see someone that's saying like they're having a baby, then a lot of times you'll see it has 500 likes and a bunch of comments because people like it and they're going to say, congratulations. Um, people getting married. Like if you put on there, I'm, I got married today and have a picture of you and your spouse all dressed up and nice and everything. Like it's going to do better than a post about something you may need just because like they know that people are going to do it. Another thing that is really good with the social media algorithm is usually something that's pretty polarizing. Um, basically anything that people will talk about. So once again, it's a way that you could spread your cause, but once again, it's not the only way you can spread your cause. And another thing that social media does pretty well, I'm going to say particular in this case, Facebook and Instagram, is it could be a really good tool for fundraising. Um, if you have not signed up for Facebook fundraising, or I guess it's technically now meta fundraising because it's um, the Facebook organization, it's something... Facebook for just Google Facebook for nonprofits. There's an application involved, but basically, you know, if you if you're on Facebook, a little bit also on Instagram, you'll see people do like the birthday fundraisers. So, if you register your nonprofit, basically every non every five hundred one c three qualifies for it. Um, people can donate to your cause. So whether it's on Giving Tuesday, which they've done a matching program every year for that, or for someone's birthday, they can raise money for your organization. It can be a really good tool to help build funding in that way. And also the the way that you get the funding, if you sign up like for the full-blown Facebook for nonprofits, you get a an ACH deposit every or twice a month. I believe it's the 15th and the 30th. So you get the money pretty quickly. Um, there's usually about like a 30 or so, like there's a little bit of a lag time, but as you're doing it and you continue to grow it, it can be a way that you can have some more consistent funding. And this is, this is one of the bigger benefits to doing Facebook for nonprofits. All of the, all of the donations are free. Facebook pays for it all. So if someone's donating $25, you're getting $25. So if you have a fundraiser for $500, you're getting $500. So one of the bigger things to do with that is you can spread that around to whoever you can. And people will give. And it could be a really good fundraiser. So if you find, let's say, 10 people that like a couple weeks before their birthday, you send them a message like, hey, your birthday's coming up. I would love for you to give back to our organization for your birthday and do a birthday fundraiser. And if they do one for $200, you get 10 people to do that. Do the math. That's a $2,000 check right there. Completely unrestricted that you can use for whatever you want. So it's something to keep in mind. It's a, it's a good way to continue to use social media to your advantage. Um, so I talked a little bit about what, fa what social media is not because social media is not your comprehensive marketing strategy. 
It doesn't replace your website, doesn't replace personal contact, but it could be a very effective tool to communicate your cause. It could be really helpful when it comes to fundraising and it could be one of the tools, one of the stronger tools that you have to communicate what you do. So how do you do it? Maybe you're a little like, yeah, I've heard of social media. I think I do it pretty well. Here are a few tips to help do what you do better. Number one, batch and pillar your content. So what do I mean by that? Um, so let's say one of the big things you want to communicate is how to give or the importance of giving. My recommendation is write for the whole month four or five different social media posts about how important it is to give. Have it all done at the same time. And that could be done, let's say, every Tuesday. Let's say another big thing that you want to communicate is volunteer opportunities. Create them all at the same time. Get all the pictures that you have and put them all in there. So batching is taking a whole bunch of your social media posts and scheduling them at the same time. If you're wondering about scheduling apps, I'll give you a couple. We've used later.com before. That's worked pretty well. Um, right now, what I use a little bit more frequently is Canva. Canva does have a content planner that's available if you are if you register for Canva Pro for nonprofits. Another option is going to um, the Meta Business Suite, the Fate or Facebook business suite because um, there is an option there where you can schedule your posts ahead of time like from the back end of, of Facebook like the business side of it so if you just go to either I think I think it's technically now meta business suite or you could just look up Facebook business suite and it'll probably still come up either way so you can you can schedule all of your posts and then have all of your content there um, I say doing it in batches. For me, it helps a lot because a lot of times I tend to forget or um, sometimes I think I have more time and then I don't. So when I do it all at the same time, it makes it very simple. What I mean by pillaring is all of your, all of your content should be based on a couple of different aims and goals that you have for social media. So just posting like random stuff it doesn't really tell a story. It doesn't really fully communicate your cause. Having the pillaring content, pillar when I say P-I-L-L-A-R, like, um, like a pillar structure, so you have those things that you're trying to communicate. Um, what I try to communicate with my social media is how important it is to give, how important it is to serve, learn, pray, and share what we do. So all of my social media posts have that particular aim in mind. And with that, we also have a call to action with each one. So if I'm posting something, I'm saying like, I might be telling a story or I might be sharing a quote that a kid said, I'll also say, donate to our cause today or come and serve or come join the fun here at the Learning Center. Whatever it may be, you should also have a call to action at the end. Next. Use videos using Reels or TikTok or whatever you may use depending on your social media. Doing video content is a lot 
bigger and you can capture a bigger audience currently. It's just the way that social media is kind of moving. Um, TikTok was the biggest website hit last year, bigger than Google, bigger than everything. So people are using TikTok. People are looking at videos, the short videos, um, whether they're funny, whether they're informative, whatever they may be. So following the trend, it's important to use videos. Using reels, it doesn't really necessarily take that long. And you don't have to like have a big choreographed dance. Um, as a, a side tip, some of the more viral videos, if you look above the person's profile, sometimes a button will come up that says use template. So it has everything all planned out and you just have to add the specific videos in there. So with that, I wanna encourage you to take regular pictures and videos of what you do. So that could be, um, like I'm gonna use us as an example. I have my camera out randomly taking videos of the kids. They don't have to be long videos. They don't have to be very well rehearsed videos, but just kind of random B-roll. Also try to take as much pictures as I can. If you're doing reels, TikTok, those type of videos, you want your phone up, up and down, not side to side. If you're doing video for, say, YouTube, or you want to get B-roll for eventual promotion videos, things like that, then it would be landscape or side to side. But just have your phone out randomly and start taking pictures and videos. Then when you sit down and say, I'm going to plan out what I'm doing for my social media for the month of November, you have a whole bunch of different videos that you can um, go off of. So it's not just well, I don't know if I have videos. I don't. I have to figure out how I'm planning the videos and things like that. So just having it out and having it there can really make a difference and it could save you a lot of time. Um, also, kind of as a side note, whether you're working with children or other um, sensitive groups, you always want to make sure that you have permission. So let's say if you are working with, um, like one, since we're working with children, we have our parents sign a waiver just to make sure that it's okay that we're filming them. Um, and for the most part, people are usually pretty good with it. There are a couple of people that are like, oh, I don't really want my kid videoed, or there are specific reasons why they can't be videoed, whether um, they're thinking of like people that are in foster care, things like that. So it's always good to have permission, but also just have your camera out, be ready for it. And last but not least, Make sure you're planning out your social media. Um, it takes a little bit of time to say like, what do I want to accomplish? But having what you want to accomplish through social media can really help decide what you want to post. And if you see like a TikTok trend or a Reels trend or a Facebook Reels trend that really follows that, then it's something that you can hop on. But it's important to have a plan for how you're gonna do social media, what you wanna post on what days, even trying to figure out what time works best. And also know that it's very adjustable because first of all, the Facebook algorithm and Instagram and TikTok, they all change very frequently. And it's important to just know like, even though it's this way now, it could change in a month, two months, five months. So just gotta keep that in mind. So there you have it on social media. There's a few really interesting tips there. 
I think the one I want to highlight again is batching and pillaring your content. Try to take, let's say, an hour to do all of your social media posts for the month. And it doesn't have to be every day. If you're posting two or three times a week, that should be sufficient. Don't think that you have to have everything perfect right now as well. Just get it started. That's what I decided to do when I was like, you know, I'm just going to sit there and, and do my first reel. And I think it was my second or third reel ended up getting like over 3,000 views. So like, it's just a matter of sitting down and, and doing it. Um, don't think that it has to be perfect. Take these tips for what it's worth and I hope they help you. All right, so it's confession of a missionary time. And today I want to talk about meetings. Because I feel like recently, and not even just like meeting for coffee as like a pastor type of thing, but meeting um, with different people and community organizations. I think one of the most frustrating things recently for me has been there's been a lot of people that have canceled. Um, whether it's people that want to come and volunteer, whether it's people that want to come and um, learn more about what we do, whether it's people that um, were prospective donors. Like, there's been a lot of people that have canceled. We've had a couple missions teams cancel. Um, and I just want to kind of give a little bit of the heart of what happens here from the missionary perspective when that happens. So, first of all, I fully understand family emergencies. I fully understand not being able to make a meeting. But I also know that not every emergency is an actual emergency. That some can be used as an excuse. Um, and I'll give an example. This one was a little while ago. But this guy, he had reached out to me. It's like, hey, I, I want to meet you, and I want to see kind of your guys' building and everything like that. It's like, okay, well, we'll set up a time. So we finally agreed on a time. So then I had to get up out of my house earlier to go and open up our building to make sure everything was good. And then I'm waiting for this guy. 15 minutes late at this point. So I text him like, hey, uh, where are you at? I'm here. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I double booked myself. I'm sorry I didn't tell you before. Like, you have no idea how frustrating that can be. And that happens a lot. And I understand, once again, that, like, stuff can happen. People have emergencies. People forget about meetings. Like, stuff happens. But also, know that a lot of times when missionaries and nonprofit leaders are trying to get a meeting on the books, there's a lot of other things they can do with their time. Whether that's taking time to actually eat breakfast before a meeting. Whether that's um, working on a lot of the different things that they didn't get a chance to work on. <laughs> so when it comes to meetings, like, please, 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 pastors, other community members, other nonprofit leaders, keep your meetings. And if you can't, try to give some sufficient notice. Because even like, let's say, if you're feeling sick, let's say the day before you weren't feeling that great. So even following up and saying like, hey, I'm not feeling great. I'm going to let you know if we're meeting again in the morning. 
So at least they can have like that level of awareness. But I think one of the biggest things is, I think for me, one of the biggest takeaways I take from that is if I do have a meeting with someone, I'm going to try my best not to avoid it. I'm going to try to keep my meetings the best that I can. Uh, there are a few exceptions, like I've postponed several tavern board meetings, <coughs> mainly because like, there's not a ton to talk about or I don't have enough time to prepare for it. So I, I try to also give notice with that. But I think either way, it's like, keep your meetings. Make sure that you have them. Make sure that you keep them. And yeah, we'll, um, we'll just leave it at that. So thanks so much, guys, for tuning in this week. It's, uh, it's going to be fun to continue to do this. I, I do enjoy talking about nonprofit stuff. Um, I believe next week we're going to be talking about some generational stuff because we are still kind of in a very unique situation where four different generations are working at the same time. And I feel like there's usually a lot of clashing among the generations. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, well, there's a teaser for next week. But until then, continue to empower your nonprofit leaders and continue to encourage missionaries and to enlighten pastors. That's our goal here. So this is Kevin Quiller with the Nonprofit Missionary Podcast. We will see you guys next week.